We are continuing our study on uh, community. Uh, we started it last week, so continuing it is pretty basic and simple. Uh, what does it look like to live life on life? Uh, it makes me think of uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band who once said, uh, I get by with a little help from my friends. Do you need anybody? I need somebody to love. Uh, if you don't know them, you should look them up. They went by a different name, the Beatles, and they're kind of a big deal. But that's, that's what they said. They said, I get by with a little help from my friends. Uh, then that, that, that's a true statement. I, I think if you dive deep into how uh, Paul and John wrote their songs, you'd realize that there's really no meaning within them. Everything that kind of came out was just spontaneous thought, like a Kerouac novel or something. But every now and then they would touch on these true things of like, we all need help from our friends just to get through this life. And then it says, do you need anybody? That's the question. And then they shout back to each other, I need somebody to love. That we all, as we talked about last week, have this born inside of us, how we were created by God, a desire and a need to love other people. So it's, it's a little clever twist there. And we, we do need each other, and that's what we describe as community. And we're doing this study looking at different New Testament authors and what they have to say about being a Christian fellowship, a community, a church, and, and what makes community within the church really different than uh, you know, community that you can get out there, than the community that the Beatles had, right? What makes it so, what makes it different uh, what we're talk, what's talked about in the scriptures. And today we're going to look at Hebrews as we kind of make our tour through the New Testament. And it's Hebrews chapter 10, but throughout these weeks we'll look at James and Peter and Paul. And um, I hope that through this study uh, we'll grow not just an awareness of uh, what God is actually doing among us. I think sometimes you kind of have to hear from the scriptures by, oh, that's what makes this so lovely. And so we'll get an awareness for that. It's like, it's not just that we're all really nice and good and we fit together. It's that God has done something among us to make us a people. And the other thing that I hope we grow in is obedience. And like, this is what we press into to be God's people and loving one another. Um, and it's not just, you know, relying on the Beatles alone, but like the word of God telling us in his authority, this is what it means to be a people. And so we're gonna look at Hebrews chapter 10 today. Uh, and this is what it says around the Christian practice of encouragement. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This is God's word. It starts, there's this big setup that the writer of Hebrews gives. Uh, they, they give this big setup that's kind of core to what just even Christian faith is all about. Uh, they don't jump straight towards, none of the, the passages of this, the New Testament really start with, hey, here's the rules, just do them. They all have this big buildup. 
you know, kind of context setting for like all that we do. And that's what they do here. And they talk about how Christ has given us access to the most holy of places. Uh, that that there's, this, there's this reality of we were made to walk and to be with God, that all of life was supposed to happen through a connection and through uh, a reality of being in God's presence. That's what you see in the Garden of Eden. That's what's so beautiful about it. It's not the, all the animals talking and having fun together like we draw outside. I mean, they're cool pictures. But what made the Garden of Eden so special and wonderful is that they knew God. God knew them. They walked with them. They were in his presence. And what this, this writer is talking about is that, is that through Jesus, we have that. We have that yet again. Because of his blood, because of his body, we are now with God. And that is, in essence, the Christian faith. He talks about how uh, there's a great priest over the house of God. That, that the priest, who's Jesus, actually intercedes for us. And in, in the Old Testament, uh, the priests used to be the only people that could go into that holy of places. And they would advocate on behalf of all of the people uh, for forgiveness, for grace, for you know, provision. That was the priest's job. We have a greater priest than that because Jesus himself was the sacrifice. He himself was the righteousness, the purity, and he brings us in and advocates for us. It's like, these people belong with you, God, because of what I've done. Uh, Jesus intercedes, and it says it, uh, he ushers us into a living way, a living way. I just love that. And this is the good news for everyone who lives, that Christ has opened up for all of us, opened the gates really wide. He's gone out into the streets, metaphorically. He's come into this world. He proclaimed a truth. Uh, it's written and it's spread throughout the world. That's such good news that he has made a way for everybody to be who they were created to be, a person belonging to God, living with God in his very presence, in his grace, and his love. That's what we were made for. Uh, sin ruined it, uh, death destroys it, uh, evil perverts it in all of these different ways. But now, because of Jesus, we've now been placed firmly in this territory of life, of grace, of the presence of God. Uh, this writer says that that's what gives us confidence. It says, since we have confidence to enter the holiest of places, uh, I find that just, this is a quick aside, I'll just give it anyway. But I find that kind of shocking because my personal system is uh, my confidence comes from uh, how well I perform. Like if I've done a good job, I get more confident, right? I see that in my kids playing sports. It's like, oh, they're, you know, they scored a goal. Now they're more confident, right? I think, well, that's where confidence comes from. Or confidence comes from stability, you know? Like I didn't grow up with a lot of stability, so then I think, well, those people are more confident because they grew up in the same house, same town, same village or whatever. Or uh, our confidence comes from our education or our background, and we can always look to those things, and we can pull out those pieces of paper from our filing cabinet and be like, I can be confident in this world because, look, that university gave me a degree because I showed up and paid for it, right? But the scriptures say here, and this, I just, it's just, this is totally an aside, but that our confidence comes from the good news about Jesus, that all confidence that we have in this world is just from the good news about him that his life, death, and resurrection has brought us into unity with him and that fills us with confidence. 
And then the writer says, since we have this confidence to go into the dwelling place of God, to live all of life in his presence, this, this is what we should do. And the writer says there's three things that we need to do. Uh, there's, and, he, and they kind of write this phrase, let us. So there's three let us, but not like iceberg lettuce. Just let us. If that's true, let us do these three things. And here, this is what they are. First, uh, they say, let us draw near. It says here, it says, uh, let us draw near to God with a sincere, sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled uh, to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. It's saying, let us live in this abundance, not an abundance of money or fame or power, but in an abundance of God himself. Let, let's, if, if we can enter the holiest of places, let's get right up close to God. Let's nestle our whole existence right there. I kind of think uh, my grandparents have this huge pecan tree in their front yard, uh, front acres. It's huge. It's great. Land, Texas, forever. Uh, they have this huge pecan tree. And uh, it's, it's, I had a cousin who wanted to get married underneath it, but not right next to it, but it was so hot because Texas forever. Uh, and everyone just kept advocating for her. Hey, you should go and get married right up against the, the trunk of the tree because then we'll all be like in the shade. And that's how you live your life too. If there's a big tree in a beautiful park, you don't like sit on the edge of the shade, right? You go and you put your back up against the trunk and you cross your legs and you eat your apple or whatever and you think life is really good. That's what the writer is saying. If you can go and have life in the presence of God, live right up against it, underneath it, there. Don't like tiptoe in it, but live deep within that says that we can have a sincere heart as we do it, that we can go and we can live life with God, with vulnerability and with honesty about who we are, what we're going through. You can have confidence as you enter into that, that you're worthy to be there. That's what he's talking about, that the guilt's been taken away, you've been purified, you belong there. You don't do it with shame or guilt or a need to cover up or a need to pretend. You're free to go to God. So let us draw near to God if all of that stuff is true. I think that makes perfect sense. I, I don't think that anything that I just said, you're like, wow, I never thought about that before. That I should, I, you know, that is the gospel. And we talk about here, that's gospel enjoyment. That we would enjoy the fruit of the gospel. If Jesus has made us alive and united with him, then let's be united to him, right? And then it says, the second let us, let us hold firm to hope. Let's never give up. Let's, let's never leave the faith. If all of that's true, let's never relent. Why? Because he has always been faithful. He who promised is faithful. And the, the truth is, is that if God from eternity past set his entire intention and will on you being restored to him, and then worked through all of human history, came into human history himself, died and rose again, you can have complete confidence that that is a hope that will not fail, and that he is a God who will be faithful. If the biggest thing when you are born into this world is, how can I be made right with God and other people? And if Jesus has already settled that for you, 
No amount of suffering or hardship or job confusion or housing uncertainty could ever compare to what he's already done for you. And he was faithful to be with you through all of it. And that is enough. That's what they're saying. So let's hold on to the faith. Let's not drop it when things get hard. And for these people that they're writing to, things were hard. Let's not drop it when people ridicule us for having a faith like this. Let's not drop it when people don't understand us. Let's hold on to this faith. This word, it's, if you go through a lot of different translations, the unswervingly, uh, I like Formula One, so I like to think it's kind of a fun word, uh, unswervingly, but others will say a firm grip, like the kind of, of uh, you know, when a, a kid gets put on the handlebars for the first time on a bicycle. Maybe you can remember that where you just like clutch it so hard that afterwards your hands kind of hurt. Or maybe you've, you've ridden that roller coaster and you kind of, when it's all over, you're like, oh, every bone in my body has been tense holding on to this thing. Uh, that's what he's talking about. Hold on to the hope that you have just like that, which I think makes tons of sense and is a very real spiritual response as well. I think that's something that we're probably trained to, you know, don't get, let go of the faith, you know, finish strong, uh, you know, don't backslide. These are all things that maybe you've heard about. Like if, if this is true, keep with it to the very end. And then uh, the last lettuce is this. Let us consider how, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now the writer says, you, you know, draw near to God. If, the, if, if Jesus did all that, get close to God. If Jesus did all that, hold on to that hope. And then he says, encourage each other to love and good deeds. And that's, I just want to say, it's, that's not an add-on there. Like, it seems a little out of place next to those very spiritual things. Uh, we are still talking about the implications of the gospel. They haven't shifted on to this whole new concept. It's still being tied back. The lettuce is still being tied back to that whole, you know, we can enter the holiest of places by the blood and the body of Jesus. They're still talking about that. This is still an implication of the gospel that the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection gives you a confidence to encourage one another. The Bible is saying this, encouraging one another towards love and good deeds is a direct result of the gospel. It's a direct outpouring of what happens to a person who believes this truth. Uh, it's a direct indication of if you've received and, and trust this gospel is if you can encourage one another. Uh, just like delighting in the presence of God, just like holding on to hope. And, and this is why, because I, I think this one seems less obvious. Maybe I'm alone in that, but is that it's like, that seems less obvious. Why would encouraging one another be tied so closely to like, if this is true, if Jesus died and rose again, we should encourage each other. Why is that? The Bible... Um, says that we were made to love, as we talked a lot of before. The Old Testament describes uh, the word as hesed, this loving kindness, faithful, enduring, sacrificing love. It's one of the best words 
that you could ever learn about. You could, the Wikipedia article is pretty good. So Hesed. And it's this fundamental purpose to why you were created, why you're put on this planet, to be an object of God's love and to be a, a vessel and to be someone who loves. Uh, just like we talked about last Sunday, a whole bunch. And why are we created to have this hesed and to give this hesed? Why are we meant to have self-sacrificing, faithful love towards one another and to, to you know, everything outside of us? Because we were made in the image of God and God himself is love. And also, why is encouraging such a big thing is because we were made to do good works, to do good stuff in this world, to do good deeds. You were created for that just like you were created to love. Uh, it doesn't get the same kind of media play, you know? The Beatles aren't writing songs. They never wrote songs about let's do good stuff. Uh, they just like love is so much easier. It's so much more romantic. It's, I don't know, it's four letters instead of a whole thing, like good stuff, good works. But you were made for that. Now, often when we hear good deeds, you might think, oh, right, volunteering at a food kitchen or donating my stuff to a cause. But the first pages of the Bible uh, in Genesis actually give us a much bigger picture of good deeds and why it's, it's who we're made to be. So in Genesis 1... Uh, verse 27. It says this. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, you might think the Bible's being super redundant, but this is a beautiful poem, just so you know. It's like the created, the words, anyway. We're made in the image of God. Verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Uh, this is what you were made to do. Uh, you were not just made to love because you're in the image of God. You weren't just made for compassion and mercy and all of the things that are in the character of God. You're made to reflect that. But you were also made for good works. We were created to be creators, created to be stewards, it says to, to rule and to care for all of these things. You are made for that. That's the kind of good works that they're talking about. You're made to be fruitful and to increase in numbers. You're made to subdue the earth in such a way that, that a culture could thrive and exist. Uh, you're meant to, to build things. You're made to build things so that others uh, might find shelter, so that you might find shelter. You're made to be a steward. You're made to be fruitful. You're made to multiply towards human flourishing and towards the creation being cared for over and over again. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, Paul says it uh, really quickly. He says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And what Paul is talking about and what the whole of scriptures is talking about is that we were created and we were put on this planet not just to love God and love other people, but to do stuff by the work of our hands towards human flourishing. Not just charities, not just nonprofits, but the stuff that we do, that we commit our minds to and our hands to, is to build and create a good world that he always intended. And, and this is uh, the truth, that you were created for a life of sacrifice. You were created for a life of creativity, of caring for others, 
You were all created to nurture other things. Like he talks about the birds and the plants. and all. You were created to nurture. You were created to protect. Created to pursue justice. You're created to pursue all of that. And for some of us, what that means is that you were created to start companies that would employ other people and that would solve problems that, that people have so that others might flourish. Some of you uh, were created to, to build actual things and engineer things so that other people can experience protection and nurturing. Some of you were created to start nonprofits that fill the gaps that nobody is willing to pay for. Some of you were created to be educators. Some of you were created to make art and tell stories. Some of you, you were just given a mind to solve problems and to help others heal. Some of you were, were created in this world to just be with people in their most tragic of moments. I mean, there's so many more things. Like, that's what you were made for. And again, sin, rebellion, evil, it distorts, it disrupts, it twists all of those things. But that's what you were made for. And that's why the, the writer of Hebrews says, since you've now been able to walk close and live underneath God and you have this hope that you don't have to give up, encourage each other to live the lives you were always meant to live. Christian community doesn't just say, hey man, you're so good, I love hanging out with you. Christian community is, you were put here on this planet for a purpose, and I'm not going to stop bugging you about doing the purpose that you were given. I'm not going to stop fighting for you and supporting you and doing those things, because you were put here for a purpose. And I think that our city, one of the main uh, distortions that our city has given towards good works and good deeds uh, is what I would just call like an accomplishment and drive culture. Essentially that you are your hunger for more. Do more and be alive more. Accomplish more. The more you accomplish, the more alive you are. Uh, Miral and I are watching, it's the second time for me, but uh, The Last Dance about Michael Jordan, the ultimate drive accomplishment person. And what's sad is I think he believed if I win more, the more I win, the more me I can become. But what's sad is the more winning he like, accomplished at all costs, the less he was even distinguishable from just a machine in the, in the cog of our culture. Anyway, I think that that is one of the main things that distorts. And, and what our culture of accomplishment and drive doesn't understand uh, is it's only through a way, a new and living way open to us by the body and the blood of Jesus that any of us are able to actually be fruitful, to actually have the confidence to pursue what we were made for just to pursue what we were made for like alone. It's the only thing that gives us that kind of confidence um, to, to even seriously pursue those things out of love, from a place of freedom, from guilt, freedom from shame, that if I have to do these things to make, the only way to create and sustain beautiful greatness and goodness is to, to walk in a way created by the way of Jesus, who created all of us to do good works that we might walk in them. See, our accomplishment and drive culture says, you can be safe and significant if you do more, if your work is good enough. That's, you can be safe and significant if your work is good enough and you do enough of it. But the gospel says that you are saved by God 
because you're already significant to God so that you can now do good work. See the difference? You're now you're saved by God in the gospel because you're already significant to him. He already said, he chose to enter this world because he valued you so that now you can do good work. And so not only do we draw near to God, not only do we hold on to hope, we also champion each other. We encourage each other. We prod each other. Uh, that, that, that spur language, it's like we actually have like a, a little dagger that we're hitting each other in the, in the backside that we would love, that we would do good work, that we would do what we were called to. And I think that this encouragement, you know, it's super cheesy. I'm sure you've all heard this, but to encourage someone is to put courage in them, right? Has you all heard that? No. Oh, man, it's just my own weird childhood. Whoops. It's not cheesy. I shouldn't have given away. But, you know, it's the root of the word. It's like to put courage in somebody else so that then they can do what they were supposed to do. And I think the biggest drought in our city is not water, though it's getting scary, uh, but the biggest drought that all people face in this city is not water, but it's encouragement. Uh, I don't think anyone right now is like, Brad, I don't, I'm too encouraged right now. You know, like everywhere I go, people are like, good job, Brad, you're doing awesome. We get all the attaboys, the high fives, the side hugs, you know, they're like, the emails that say, I'm just so glad you're alive, you know, because you exist, everything is going well. Like, are you getting too much of that? Is that, you're just like, I'm tapped out. Oh, I hope I don't get another email like that. You know, like last night, I bumped into this guy, Jalen Rose. Does anyone know who Jalen Rose is? Plays basketball. Yes. He, okay, thank you. <laughs> I texted Ian about it as I was happening. <laughs> Ian and I were texting about Jalen Rose. He played basketball for the Fab Five. It's really good. He's tall, handsome. His hairline is like so perfect. Anyway, I bumped into him as I was getting Thai food, uh, and he was so nice to all these people, and I was like, you're so awesome. Like, you've been so awesome since you were 18 until now. Like, how do you do that? He goes, I really appreciate that, brother. Thank you. I was like, I mean, how many people like celebrate him, right? And he's like, no, I could, thanks for encouraging me. I like being encouraged. Famous person. Anyway, all of us need encouragement. It's like the biggest thing that we have. And I think ultimately one of the biggest challenges that our church faces is the temptation to not encourage and challenge each other. Because we, in that culture of drive and accomplishment, it's a zero-sum game. Like, I accomplish and other people don't. The only way for me to succeed is if other people don't succeed, right? The only way for me to get, I need the encouragement, they don't. So the big temptation we have is to not encourage each other to love and to good deeds. Or put maybe in a more positive way, the most strategic thing we can do as a body, as a church, or within our communities is to encourage one another. Like the big like, strategic thing for us to do would be to encourage each other. And it's the biggest gift that you can actually give your community. I, have a, I know that you know, in your workplace, you might have heard about you know, encouragement tips. Uh, you know, be specific, be honest, be timely, right? It has to be real. You can't encourage someone on doing a good job if they did a bad job. Yeah, you have to, it has to be real, it has to be timely. You can't be like, yeah, three years ago, right? And it has to be specific, like you really did a good job with this specific thing, right? You guys know those tips? 
If you don't, look them up. It's great. There's little YouTube videos about it. How to encourage. I want to talk about what Christian encouragement is different from those things. Those things are great. Those are, they're great tips. It's like the wisdom of the world. It's awesome. But here's four things about how Christian encouragement's different. All right? The first one is Christian encouragement is centered on Christ in us. The encouragement is uh, that, that we get to see Jesus, his character, his life, his passion through other people. And in, in the church, we encourage each other by saying, I see Jesus in you. Like, for example, I saw you the other day forgiving someone, and it just reminded me that Jesus forgives all of us. And the only way for you to forgive is, like, that's the power of God working in you, right? Or, um, you know, you guys okay if I put some of y'all on the spot? Yeah? Okay. So the brothels show up every, nearly every Sunday and are here early, and they're serving, and they're doing all of these tiny things that other people don't see or notice. Like, you guys don't know how the sound system works. Jared does, and he does all of these things to tweak it. Uh, Kristen shows up. You guys don't know how janky the tents are. Kristen does. And, and what we see in them doing that is not, wow, that's so good. You know, we couldn't exist without you guys. I mean, that's true. But the other part is, I see, like, Jesus who gets on his knees and washes our feet. And when you guys serve in that way, you're showing us the heart of Jesus to not just be like this puffed up king, but to be the one who condescends and who walks and who serves, right? Like that's a real encouragement and that's true. Like not fake, not for an example. Christian encouragement is centered on Jesus and how we see Jesus in each other. The second thing is that uh, Christian encouragement gives courage to believers to be faithful and to do good works and to love, like we've just talked about. But it gives courage to them to do the things that God's called them to do, that they've gifted them to do, and empowered them to do. But often, this is why it's so important, this is why it's so strategic. I think we all tend to know uh, deep down what we're supposed to do like what we're called to do, and what we're kind of, we, we kind of often know what we're a little bit good at, and what we could do. But one of the main things that keeps us is we're scared. We're, we feel a little insecure. We're doubtful. Like, can I do those things? Can I step into that career? Can I, can I operate that way and, and work? Um, and I, and so, uh, we know how we're supposed to serve others, but Christian encouragement drives out all fear. It gives encouragement. The prodding, the spurring each other on to love is, I am with you. I know, like, if Christ has called you to do that thing, to start that new job, to take on those new clients, if God's called you to invite your neighbors over for dinner or to be that kind of person, Christian encouragement says, hey, I'm with you. You can do this. Christ, the power of God, is operating within you and cannot stop you. Uh, nothing will defeat you in doing those things that God has called you to do. God will meet you in these moments. And so Christian uh, encouragement gives courage to people to do what they know they're called to do. They also, Christian encouragement, this is the third one, challenges us to continue on. Because a lot of us, we start off, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna do that thing. I'm gonna give my life. You know, a lot of us, we've already started our careers and, and God put us in there. And so we're walking along and, and we're in our families and we're in our neighborhoods and we're being faithful. We start out being faithful. 
But what Christian encouragement does is say, I think you can keep going. And this is why it says we, you need this. You need someone around you who's going to hold a belief that you are becoming like Jesus. Like we all need people in our lives who are saying to us, you are being made more and more into the image of Jesus each day. You, and, and we press them onwards. Uh, it, to be in a Christian community is to kind of carry a vision of them being form, or fully formed and alive in Christ. And you carry that vision for them and you say, you can keep pressing on towards that. You know, for example, you can say, uh, you know, I see you growing, but there's more growth. I see you uh, pressing on, but there's more to do. I see you putting to bed these sins in your life and Jesus is being faithful. Don't give up. And then lastly, uh, the tip on Christian community is that, and encouragement is that it's done through shared life. Uh, you can't do it as an absentee father, kind of like I'm going to throw in some encouragements. You know, I know a lot of us work remote now, and I don't, you know, decentralized companies, there's some blog out there that our managers read that's like, hey, you should have encouragement times with your employees. Let's do a water cooler uh, and you get on Zoom for 30 minutes, and everyone goes around, and they say encouraging things about you. And they're normally like this, hey, Karen, you're so nice. You know, you're always here on time, and you're nice. And then it goes the next one, hey, Bobby, you're just so nice and kind. I love the way you respond to emails. You're so good. And as, I don't, is anyone experiencing that? No? <laughs> Man, I watch my wife do this every day. It's like, wow, you're doing another one of those. Anybody can be like, awesome for 30 minutes on a Zoom and be fake. And so then the encouragement back to you is like, that's not real. Like, you don't know me. Like, I'm not nice. I'm not here all the time on time. Like, I was going to the bathroom. I put my face and, you know, thing on mute. Like, I wasn't here. It's not real. The only real kind of encouragement that you can have is if you've walked with someone, you've seen their life, you know what's going on in it, and then you can actually speak truth about who they are and what God's doing in their life. It can't be like, man, I got your Christmas card that time and I wrote you an email back and I encouraged you. Like that's, it has to be done within the context of life. You can't do it from a distance. You have to be together to see it. Um, you, for example, you can be like, man, I saw you the other day being a good father. Like I saw you get down on your hands and your knees and you cared for them. I saw you do that at the park. Man, you're, you're doing great. But that can't, you can't give that kind of encouragement if it's like, yeah, I saw you posed on Instagram smiling at your son. You must be a good father. Because it's, it's, it's empty if you receive that, right? Because you know they don't know. And that's, that applies to all sorts of, you have to be in community. Uh, and even as we encourage people, we might be like, man, you're being such a good father. The world needs that. The community needs that. You can't um, encourage people if you're not showing up in their lives. And so it says, even explicitly, don't give up getting together. Don't neglect calling and texting people in your missional community and spending time with them. Don't neglect showing up to DNA don't neglect being at your missional community meals and in those times. Don't neglect being here on a Sunday. Uh, you know, I think this verse sometimes gets used to like, hey, yeah, don't skip church, right? But it's so much more than that. It's, it's don't neglect being together. 
Don't isolate yourself. Don't don't live a, a separate life that nobody else can see. Don't neglect being around the body because you need to be encouraged and you have encouragement to give. Um, That's pretty good news, right? Uh, What would encouragement like that feel like? If somebody was doing that in your life all the time, someone, what are those four things? Oh, sorry, I have multiple slides. Like if someone was doing that to you, what would that feel like? in your life. I think it would help you like know cuz like when someone's like, "Oh, you're so great." It's like, "What I don't know what I did to do that or be that." Yeah. It's kind of hard to like I don't know. It, it's so much more meaningful when it's like when you did this specific thing, it really was great. Yeah. This. And so I feel like it would it would help me like, know more specifically like, mm. what is having an impact on people's lives and also like, how God's showing up in my life and places I can see. Yeah. That's good. I think it, um, it creates types of relationships that are very authentic. Mm. Somebody's being honest and seeing something in you. You have the ability to actually be honest back about when you're not doing okay because it's a safe space. For the person, like, yeah, and within community, it just encourages you to be authentic. Yeah, totally. It encourages you to be authentic. Of like, I'm tired. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Yeah, I need you to encourage me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah. I thought too, this could bring about repentance as well, like within a community. Yeah. Encourage one another, but also encouragement goes the other way to encourage others on towards repentance mm-hmm. and good deeds. So I think it gives for an openness of repentance as well. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. It spurs us on to, to repentance because it's. Yeah, it's like, no, I, I see you fully formed and alive and vibrant in Jesus, obedient to him, and I just want that for you, you know? And that, which does, that's a kindness that does lead to repentance, yeah. I think we feel more known and more connected mm. in, the, in the community. You can be around people, but not, yeah. but still feel completely alone. Yeah. Not known by them. Totally. So like this actually would feel, um, it would feel like real community. Yeah. Real relationships. Totally. Life's just tiring sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Life is tiring. Yeah. And I think, you know, we can sometimes think, ah, oh, in the Bible times, you know, they must have had it easy. But it's like these people were carrying jugs of water around, you know, and they're like, yeah, it was a hard life. They had to work so hard to live. Like, they didn't have vacation days, right? And, and so it's like, man, if they, they were enduring in the faith, probably because 
They were in a group of people that encouraged them in Christ. Yeah. Uh, and you might, we're about to, like, for our response time, every time uh, after the teaching, there's communion, uh, it's opportunity to give, and then we'll worship some more. Um, and what I want to encourage us to do today is during that time while Danielle is uh, singing and leading us in worship, maybe there's someone you could encourage in this space today. You could go to them and whisper, like it could be loud, so a loud whisper in someone's ears, like a, an encouragement around like the ways that we've kind of talked about it today and this time as we worship. Because the thing about Christian community is that we're not worshiping humans, we get to worship Jesus operating within humans. And so Christian community is actually worship to God. And you might think, man, I'm not very good at encouragement. And I think that's the reason most people don't encourage, because they're like, I must not be good at it. And now Brad just said there's these four rules to follow, like, and that can get stuck in our heads. But I think, here's the thing, the same skill that notices what's wrong with people's lives, and I know we all have this skill, the same skill that notices what's wrong with people's life is actually the same skill that notices what Jesus is doing in someone's life. And so a lot, like, you could be like, I'm just a more gifted crit critique, you know, I'm a good critic. You know, it's like the people who write, crit you know, critical, like, stuff, reviews and stuff, they could write some killer, like, this movie was awesome, right? Some killer, like, this book was so good, but they don't. They just write, like, these are the things that were wrong. So that same skill, and you might operate within that. And we will talk in the coming weeks about what it's like to rebuke each other and to call each other towards repentance, but you can use that same ability to see what's messed up in someone's life to notice, wait, what if I shifted my gears to see about what Jesus is doing in their life, and let me speak that to them. And so we're gonna do that now. Uh, you can go and, and take communion, I'll pray for us, and that we would respond in this time of encouraging each other. Jesus, uh, thank you for the truth of the gospel, uh, that we do have confidence through the living way that you opened up before us to walk straight into your presence. Through your body and through your blood, we get to enjoy the fruit of the gospel from now and forevermore. Uh, God, I pray that we would draw near to you. I pray that we would hold on to the hope forever, trusting in your faithfulness. And I pray, too, that we would spur each other on to love and good deeds, the stuff that you created in advance for us to do, that we would, uh, we would take it upon ourselves to encourage each other to do those things, to be who you made us to be. Uh, it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.